Chapter Five of Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc by Mark Twain. Chapter Five: Domremy pillaged and burned. They were peaceful and pleasant those young and smoothly flowing days of ours. That is, that was the case as a rule. We being remote from the seat of war. But at intervals roving bands approached near enough for us to see the flush in the sky at night which marked where they were burning some farmstead or village, and we all knew, or at least felt, that some day they would come yet nearer, and we should have our turn. This dull dread lay upon our spirits like a physical weight. It was greatly augmented a couple of years after the Treaty of Troyes. It was truly a dismal year for France. One day we had been over to have one of our occasional pitched battles with those hated Burgundian boys of the village of Maxi, and had been whipped, and were arriving on our side of the river after dark, bruised and weary, when we heard the bell ringing the tocsin. We ran all the way, and when we got to the square we found it crowded with the excited villagers, and weirdly lighted by smoking and flaring torches. On the steps of the church stood a stranger a Burgundian priest, who was telling the people news which made them weep, and rave, and rage, and curse by turns. He said our old mad king was dead, and that now we and France and the crown were the property of an English baby lying in his cradle in London, and he urged us to give that child our allegiance, and be its faithful servants and well-wishers, and said we should now have a strong and stable government at last and that in a little time the english armies would start on their last march and it would be a brief one for all that it would need to do would be to conquer what odds and ends of our country yet remained under that rare and almost forgotten rag the banner of france the people stormed and raged at him and you could see dozens of them stretch their fists above the sea of torch-lighted faces and shake them at him and it was all a wild picture and stirring to look at and the priest was a first-rate part of it, too, for he stood there in the strong glare and looked down on those angry people in the blandest and most indifferent way, so that while you wanted to burn him at the stake, you still admired the aggravating coolness of him, and his winding up was the coolest thing of all, for he told them how, at the funeral of our old king, the French king-at-arms had broken his staff of office over the coffin of Charles VI and his dynasty, at the same time saying in a loud voice, "'God grant long life to Henry, King of France and England, our sovereign lord!' And then he asked them to join him in a hearty amen to that. The people were white with wrath, and it tied their tongues for the moment, and they could not speak. But Joan was standing close by, and she looked up in his face and said in her sober, earnest way, "'I would I might see thy head struck from thy body!' Then, after a pause, and crossing herself, if it were the will of God. This is worth remembering, and I will tell you why. It is the only harsh speech Joan ever uttered in her life. When I shall have revealed to you the storm she went through, and the wrongs and persecutions, then you will see that it was wonderful that she said but one bitter thing while she lived. From the day that that dreary news came, we had one scare after another, the marauders coming almost to our doors every now and then, so that we lived in ever-increasing apprehension, and yet were somehow mercifully spared from actual attack. But at last our turn did really come. This was in the spring of twenty-eight. The Burgundians swarmed in with a great noise, in the middle of a dark night, 
and we had to jump up and fly for our lives. We took the road to Neuchâteau, and rushed along in the wildest disorder, everybody trying to get ahead, and thus the movements of all were impeded. But Joan had a cool head, the only cool head there, and she took command and brought order out of that chaos. She did her work quickly, and with decision and dispatch, and soon turned the panic flight into a quiet, steady-going march. You will grant that for so young a person, and a girl at that, this was a good piece of work. She was sixteen now, shapely and graceful, and of a beauty so extraordinary that I might allow myself any extravagance of language in describing it, and yet have no fear of going beyond the truth. There was in her face a sweetness and serenity and purity that justly reflected her spiritual nature. She was deeply religious, and this is a thing which sometimes gives a melancholy cast to a person's countenance, but it was not so in her case. Her religion made her inwardly content and joyous, and if she was troubled at times, and showed the pain of it in her face and bearing, it came of distress for her country. No part of it was chargeable to her religion. A considerable part of our village was destroyed, and when it came safe for us to venture back there, we realized what other people had been suffering in all the various quarters of France for many years, yes, decades of years. For the first time we saw wrecked and smoke-blackened homes, and in the lanes and alleys carcasses of dumb creatures that had been slaughtered in pure wantonness, among them calves and lambs that had been pets of the children, and it was pity to see the children lament over them. And then the taxes, the taxes. Everybody thought of that. That burden would fall heavy now in the commune's crippled condition, and all faces grew long with the thought of it. Joan said, paying taxes with not to pay them with is what the rest of France has been doing these many years, but we never knew the bitterness of that before. We shall know it now. And so she went on talking about it, and growing more and more troubled about it, until one could see that it was filling all her mind. At last she came upon a dreadful object. It was the madman, hacked and stabbed to death in his iron cage in the corner of the square. It was a bloody and dreadful sight. Hardly any of us young people had ever seen a man before who had lost his life by violence. So this cadaver had an awful fascination for us. We could not take our eyes from it. I mean, it had that sort of fascination for all of us but one. That one was Joan. She turned away in horror, and could not be persuaded to go near it again. There, it is a striking reminder that we are but creatures of use and custom. Yes, it, and it is a reminder, too, of how harshly and unfairly fate deals with us sometimes. For it was so ordered that the very ones among us who were most fascinated with mutilated and bloody death were to live their lives in peace, while that other, who had a native and deep horror of it, must presently go forth and have it as a familiar spectacle every day on the field of battle. You may well believe that we had plenty of matter for talk now, since the raiding of our village seemed by long odds the greatest event that had really ever occurred in the world, for although these dull peasants may have thought they recognized the bigness of some of the previous occurrences that had filtered from the world's history dimly into their minds, the truth is that they hadn't. One biting little fact, visible to their eyes of flesh, and felt in their own personal vitals, became at once more prodigious to them than the grandest remote episode in the world's history, which they had got at second-hand and by hearsay. 
it amuses me now when i recall how our elders talked then they fumed and fretted in a fine fashion ah yes said old jacques d'arc things are come to a pretty pass indeed the king must be informed of this it is time that he cease from idleness and dreaming and get at his proper business he meant our young disinherited king the hunted refugee charles the seventh you say well said the mayor he should be informed and that at once it is an outrage that such things would be permitted why we are not safe in our beds and he taking his ease yonder it shall be made known indeed it shall all france shall hear of it to hear them talk one would have imagined that all the previous ten thousand sackings and burnings in france had been but fables and this one the only fact it is always the way words will answer as long as it is only a person's neighbor who is in trouble but when that person gets into trouble himself it is time that the king rise up and do something the big event filled us young people with talk too we let it flow in a steady stream while we tended the flocks we were beginning to feel pretty important now for i was eighteen and the other youths were from one to four years older young men in fact one day the paladin was arrogantly criticizing the patriot generals of france and said look at dunois bastard of orleans call him a general just put me in his place once never mind what i would do it is not for me to say i have no stomach for talk my way is to act and let others do the talking but just put me in his place once that's all and look at saint pooh and that blustering lahir now what a general that is it shocked everybody to hear these great names so flippantly handled for to us these renowned soldiers were almost gods in their far-off splendor they rose upon our imaginations dim and huge shadowy and awful and it was a fearful thing to hear them spoken of as if they were mere men and their acts open to comment and criticism the color rose in joan's face and she said i know not how any can be so hardy as to use such words regarding these sublime men who are the very pillars of the french state supporting it with their strength and preserving it at daily cost of their blood as for me i could count myself honored past all deserving if i might be allowed but the privilege of looking upon them once at a distance i mean for it would not become one of my degree to approach them too near the paladin was disconcerted for a moment seeing by the faces around him that joan had put into words what the others felt then he pulled his complacency together and fell to fault-finding again joan's brother jean said if you don't like what our generals do why don't you go to the great wars yourself and better their work you are always talking about going to the wars but you don't go look you said the paladin it is easy to say that now i will tell you why i remain chafing here in a bloodless tranquillity which my reputation teaches you is repulsive to my nature i do not go because i am not a gentleman that is the whole reason what can one private soldier do in a contest like this nothing he is not permitted to rise from the ranks if i were a gentleman would i remain here not one moment i can save france ah you may laugh but i know what is in me i know what is hid under this peasant cap i can save france and i stand ready to do it but not under these present conditions if they want me let them send for me otherwise let them take the consequences i shall not budge but as an officer alas poor france france is lost said pierre d'arc 
since you sniff so at others why don't you go to the wars yourself pierre d'arc oh i haven't been sent for either i am no more a gentleman than you yet i will go i promise to go i promise to go as a private under your orders when you are sent for they all laughed and the dragonfly said so soon then you need to begin to get ready you might be called for in five years who knows yes in my opinion you'll march for the wars in five years he will go sooner said joan she said it in a low voice and musingly but several heard it how do you know that joan said the dragonfly with a surprised look but jeanne d'arc broke in and said i want to go myself but as i am rather young yet i also will wait and march when the paladin is sent for no said joan he will go with pierre she said it as one who talks to himself aloud without knowing it and none heard it but me i glanced at her and saw that her knitting needles were idle in her hands and that her face had a dreamy and absent look in it there were fleeting movements of her lips as if she might be occasionally saying parts of sentences to herself but there was no sound for i was the nearest person to her and i heard nothing but i set my ears open for those two speeches had affected me uncannily i being superstitious and easily troubled by any little thing of a strange and unusual sort noel regesson said there is one way to let france have a chance for her salvation we've got one gentleman in the commune at any rate why can't the scholar change name and condition with the paladin then he can be an officer france will send for him then and he will sweep these english and burgundian armies into the sea like flies i was the scholar that was my nickname because i could read and write there was a chorus of approval and the sunflower said that is the very thing it settles every difficulty the sieur de comte will easily agree to that yes he will march at the back of captain paladin and die early covered with common soldier glory he will march with jean and pierre and live till these wars are forgotten joan muttered and at the eleventh hour noel and the paladin will join these but not of their own desire the voice was so low that i was not perfectly sure that these were the words but they seemed to be it makes one feel creepy to hear such things come now joel continued it's all arranged there's nothing to do but organize under the paladin's banner and go forth and rescue france you'll all join all said yes except jacques d'arc who said i'll ask you to excuse me it is pleasant to talk war and i am with you there and i've always thought that i should go soldiering about this time but the look of our wrecked village and that carved up and bloody madman have taught me that i am not made for such work and such sights i could never be at home in that trade face swords and the big guns and death it isn't in me no no count me out and besides i'm the eldest son and deputy prop and protector of the family since you are going to carry jean and pierre to the wars somebody must be left behind to take care of our joan and her sister i shall stay at home and grow old in peace and tranquillity he will stay at home but not grow old muttered joan the talk rattled on in the gay and careless fashion privileged to youth and we got the paladin to map out his campaigns and fight his battles and win his victories and extinguish the english and put our king upon his throne and set his crown upon his head then we asked him what he was going to answer when the king should require him to name his reward 
the paladin had it all arranged in his head and brought it out promptly he shall give me a dukedom name me premier peer and make me hereditary lord high constable of france and marry you to a princess you're not going to leave that out are you the paladin colored a trifle and said brusquely he may keep his princesses i can marry more to my taste meaning joan though nobody suspected it at the time if any had the paladin would have been finely ridiculed for his vanity there was no fit mate in that village for joan of arc every one would have said that in turn each person present was required to say what reward he would demand of the king if he could change places with the paladin and do the wonders the paladin was going to do the answers were given in fun and each of us tried to outdo his predecessors in the extravagance of the reward he would claim and when it came to joan's turn and they rallied her out of her dreams and asked her to testify they had to explain to her what the question was for her thought had been absent and she had heard none of this latter part of our talk she supposed they wanted a serious answer and she gave it she sat considering some moments then she said if the dauphin out of his grace and nobleness should say to me now that i am rich and am come to my own again choose and have i should kneel and ask him to give command that our village should never more be taxed it was so simple and out of her heart that it touched us and we did not laugh but fell to thinking we did not laugh but there came a day when we remembered that speech with a mournful pride and were glad that we had not laughed perceiving then how honest her words had been and seeing how faithfully she made them good when the time came asking just that boon of the king and refusing to take even any least thing for herself End of chapter 5